Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. We're here to discuss your top of the table Tottenham Hotspur Football Club after another victory this year because we don't know what defeat looks like this time against Crystal Palace. Before I go any further, I want to remind our listeners to leave us a nice five-star review on iTunes or Spotify. And don't forget to uh, follow us on Twitter at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. Now that's out of the way, let's introduce my co-host for this week. Coming to us from an A24 film festival, he has opinions about socially progressive horror films this Halloween. It's Ben Daniels. Ben, have you been enjoying your marathon of Giallo horror movies or are you just pretending to enjoy them? Uh, I mean, they don't, they're not as explicit enough about trauma for me, so it's mm-hmm. not really worth it. Like, oh, all these, like, cool colors and violence, okay, fine, but, like, did the killer have, like, a rough childhood? I, if I don't know that, I don't really care. Is he actually a painter with all this blood that clearly isn't blood, or is he just, like, stealing their valor? It's hard to say. Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, you know, since... Um, our other regular co-host, Brian Ashlock, is on a go-fast boat this week, making deliveries of some sort. Uh, we are joined by one of our guests. Uh, he is coming to us from the American Midwest, and he really thinks the cinematography on the Eras Tour movie deserves some serious consideration at the Oscars. It's Ryan Rosenblatt. Ryan, how many times have you seen that movie so far? Um, I, it's either six or seven. It depends on whether or not you count the last viewing, which included uh, constant dancing. So I only glanced at the screen occasionally. Ben, do you have any feelings about how dancing in the theater impacts the cinematic experience? No, I think it's great. As long as I can't hear you over Killers of the Flower Moon next door, I'm fine. <laughs> how's but the, dan- get, how's the dancing in Killers cup. of the Flower Moon? No, I mean from next door. Yeah, I think that that we should all have like a at the end when the Osage tribe does their tribal dance. I think if people in the crowd started participating in that, that would be not problematic or weird at all, and we should <laughs> definitely encourage that. Well, we've already got a couple of problematic takes out of the way tonight. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, for, so, so this is our spooktacular Halloween edition. Um, we have the very scary reality that Tottenham Hotspur might be in a title race. Let's talk about it. Uh, like I said, we had a 2-1 victory against Crystal Palace. We remain top of the table after this weekend's fixtures. We're still two points uh, in the lead. Uh, let's start with the performance in the game. Uh, Palace really set up to not play football, let's say, generously. Uh, ben, was this a good or bad performance by Tottenham Hotspur? It was not a good performance. Uh, but, you know, the second half, we came out with some adjustments that got the job done. So I can't be too mad. But that first half was... Really? You can't be too mad? Like I can't be too mad. We won and we're top of the table. What am I going to be mad about? Ben, I'm, um, I have confidence you'll find a way. I Yeah. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> no, I mean, we talked about this last week about how, you know, 
we tried a lot of interesting things to create chances when the you know baiting of the press wasn't really sprung. And we did not do that at all this week. I mean, Crystal Palace were completely uninterested in advancing past their halfway line. And we looked like we had no ideas what to do when they didn't take the bait. Ben, like, say, Romero, say what you want about how we played. I think Vicario and Romero passing between themselves like they were on an episode of The Simpsons for two whole minutes at a minimum is an interesting strategy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially like I'm, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but like this second goal when we're up one nil. Romero is sitting on the ball and Palace is getting booed by their own fans because they're not willing to engage at all. It's just like, I don't know what they were trying to accomplish in that match, but it didn't work. Ryan, what, what were your thoughts coming away from this on how Spurs approached the game? I mean, I it, it wasn't a great performance, and I think this is kind of where you see the, the limitations of the squad is currently constructed, um, which... I think we knew like you need to go get a left winger. You need some, you need a little bit, a few more options. None of that was a shocker, but it is a win. And when they do our champions DVD at the end of the year, they'll show the goals and not much else. Cause that's pretty much what this game was. I think a game like this is a little hard to judge. Cause you know, I, I mean, I don't want to pretend that we were any great shakes, but when another team decides to sort of like pull you down in the mud and have a rock fight, you know, you're not going to be playing scintillating football when that happens. So, I mean, like, on the one hand, you're right, Ryan. I think it shows the limitations of the squad. But on the other hand, it's just, like, I think we manage this game pretty well. And obviously we upped the tempo in the second half and created some pressure that obviously led to some chances and some goals. But, you know, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I'm sort of at a loss as to how to judge this performance because I think we did all right. Like you guys said, we got the win, but... You know, if Palace wants to play this way, if they're going to be disciplined and not screw up, it's kind of hard to break that down. I mean, it's it isn't hard to break that down. We just didn't seem to have the ideas of how to do it. I mean, in that first half, particularly, they set up with a very like mid block defensive line. They were not, like I said, not interested in pressing above the halfway line. Uh, Romero and Van de Ven were able to just sit on the ball for as long as they wanted and neither of them have the, you know, Toby Alderweireld split the defense in, the, in half, kind of like long-range passing in their locker. Um, and so that's a limitation. Um, you know, they had Will Hughes sitting on Basuma, and every time we tried to make that pass out, that's when the press came. And none of them were willing to just carry the ball until someone stepped to them. You know, they were trying to play from deep and force it into the exact areas that Crystal Palace was asking the ball to be funneled. Um, and again, we got better at this in the second half, but it was like, I'm shocked that it took that long and like a second conversation from Ange at halftime to explain to these guys, hey, if they're not going to engage you, you can just keep going. Like, <laughs> you know, like there's no reason you have to stop and pass from where you're standing. Like you can just go wherever you want. And make them step off the guy you're trying to pass to and open up some lanes. And that was just very frustrating. Yeah, I mean, I think the, their complete reluctance to press up the pitch at all, even when they're losing. Like, they had no interest in doing it, but they also weren't defending super deep. Their, their back line wasn't playing in their own box. 
So it's not as if there was no, it's not as if they welcomed us into the last 40 yards. Then there were 10 players standing there and you're just like, oh crap, where's the space? There was plenty of space out there. We were just completely, I don't know if it was unwilling, unable to, to exploit that. And I think that's kind of what Ben's talking about is you could have dribbled it. Like we went offside three times in that match with the way that back line was playing. We should have been trying to hit balls over the top and gone offside seven times just because we didn't get the timing quite right but that's how you're going to hit them or you there had to be more options. And I think, yeah, they took Basuma out of the game, but this was also a match that kind of showed, I think some of the limitations he has as a passer. Um, Sar, I think for the second straight match, just we're starting to see some of the rougher edges to his game, which is fine. He He's a young player getting better. It's not as if it's a worry, but I think when you look at that, you start just seeing, where some of the problems are with this team where they have limitations in those two players and Poro did not have a good game and destiny wasn't playing and our left winger, whether it's Richarlison or anyone else can't dribble anybody. And you're just sitting there looking, you know, there are a lot of other things we could be doing that the match allows us to do. And we just don't really have the personnel to play it. Um, which again, we're really at the beginning of a rebuild, so we should have holes in the team. This isn't some weird thing where like you got to sound some alarms. Um, we're worried about this because we don't lose, so that gives us stakes that we shouldn't have. Um, but you know, Bentoncourt is back now, and hopefully he fills some of those. And you go out in January and maybe add another piece, and all of a sudden those those rougher edges smooth out a lot quicker. Yeah, missing Udagi in particular was. Uh, a big loss. Uh, ben Davis was extremely not up to it, uh, unfortunately, on Friday. Uh, and I, yeah, I don't think it's a coincidence that Emerson coming on for him at halftime helped make us a lot better. He was just slow, uh, bad in recovery, bad defensively, and just did not offer us any of the normal, like, middle of the pitch passing that he usually does. I it thought was just it made a very, sense. When I saw him in the lineup, it was like, okay, well, they're not going to press him. He's got room to move. Like he's, we're not going to need his recovery pace. He'll be able to pass. But yeah, he was just past it, man. I mean, yeah, we've seen him before be able to tuck in in, in past seasons and hit those vertical balls. Um, and this match, even as it played out, should have lent itself to that. So like, it's it's not as if it this was a bad matchup or you know it didn't go the way we expected and they took away the thing that we thought that he would do. It went exactly as we expected. He just did fuck all with all those opportunities. So it's not even one of those things where, like, I blame Ange for not going with Emerson from the jump. It all made sense. It just went really poorly. And, I mean, again, that's another area where I, I think we're when I talk about seeing the squad limitations, it's something like that where we just don't really have, like, you. we need Destiny in there to do things. We need Poro to pass the ball. We need Basuma to be able to dribble the ball. And if they take that away, he can't do it. And more and more, it just comes down to if a team can take away a thing or two, it comes entirely down to can Madison be great? And fortunately, he's really, really good. So that usually works out OK. But we probably need another option sometimes. I think there is an advantage to playing some games like this, because like you said, Ryan, we're at the beginning of a rebuild. And yeah, I think we probably could have approached certainly in the first half, if nothing else, a little more clinically, a little more, you know, aggressively, but I think there's a real advantage under this new system to like, okay, well now teams are going to do this to us. They're going to like, maybe not pack it in like 10 meters outside the their goal, but you know, they're going to play these really stodgy 
defensive game. So like, okay, now we have that under our belt, which isn't going to solve it necessarily, but it's something, you know, as this team is learning, as this team is gelling under Angie's system, you know, now they've seen it and now they've, you know, we sort of lived through it and we're, we're sort of getting all these experiences, which I think is a positive because I think this is for, you know, we're, we're seeing a team that's growing in a lot of aspects and it's not just this like Conte. Okay. It's gotta be the finished article quick. Cause what the hell is the point if it's not, um, so I think it's a positive that we're seeing, and I think it's a positive that we're getting three points out of a lot of these matches, if not, you know, all of them so far. So, you know, I think it's good to have this kind of a game under our belt now. Um, yeah, I, I think the flip side of that, too, though, is because expectations have been raised so much already this season um, that we're looking at a match like this, like away to Palace, and you're like, well, that has to be three points. You have to be a lot better than them because that's where our place in the table says that we are. But also the flip side of this is, and admittedly, Palace are not a good team and they were missing a couple attacking players. They're only attacking players, so it's not as if this was the stiffest of tests. But they created what all game? Like they, they didn't do anything to us. We defended really well. And this is the type of game where as we expect to win and we're pushing for a goal and players are getting forward and this team in Palace is not entirely sitting back. Like this is a match where I think it's really easy to get hit on the counter, to give up a goal on a set piece, to to have some real problems there. And I think Passpers teams would have absolutely um, conceded some chances in being undisciplined and going too hard for it. Um, and this team didn't do that. So I think this is it, at least we're seeing that even as we're pushing for a goal, even as we're trying to do these things, there is still a discipline um, and, and a refusal to kind of get pulled out. And, and that's really encouraging because even as we've played really well, I think we've seen times where um, Ange has us playing so progressively that there are things that have been exploited. And if nothing else in this match, that was shored up. So there was an area where I, I was really impressed with what we did. And if you're able to defend like that, you know, sometimes you get lucky or you get the ball to bounce your way like we did. And, and then that's how you walk away with the win. It turns out a lot differently if we're down one nil because Palace is able to get get us on the break one time um, and they weren't able to do that because I think we were still pretty damn good at the back. Yeah, I think there was over the course of the game, Palace had 11 corners to our two, which, you know, is not not great. Uh, you know, especially given how little they attacked us for them to have managed to generate 11 corners is is something, but there was a stretch where there was like five of them in a row. And it's terrifying because we have seen us be a team that's vulnerable to set pieces, you know, a lot in our lifetimes. And I think this season we have yet to give up a goal uh, from a corner. Um, And yeah, like you said, Ryan, like it was something that we handled very competently, Um, even though we shouldn't have been conceding those types of chances uh, because that's the kind of chance a shitty team can, you know, punish you for or punish you from. Uh, we we acquitted ourselves very well at the back. Uh, and those things that, you know, I had a lot of terror when like the fifth corner <laughs> rolled in. It was like, OK, well, surely this is going to be the one <laughs> that finally happens. But like, yeah, no, no real threat there. Um, we're we're pretty well organized <laughs> Yeah, and and, I mean, you said it earlier that Davies got really beaten a few times, and I think Poro had a really rough game and got beaten a few times too. So this wasn't just a game of like, 
sterling individual performances. But I think as a team, we showed an ability to cover for individual mistakes like we had from, I think, both of our fullbacks in this game, which, yeah, I mean, Poro's going to have defensive issues and usually Davies isn't going to play. But it's nice to see the system be able to cover for those mistakes. Um, So I think there is also something replicable about this um, and not just like, wow, Kuti had the game of his life. I mean, he was great, but in a way that feels like sustainable. Yeah, I think Cootie stood out, Romero stood out, partly because he just had so much of the goddamn ball. I mean, <laughs> it felt like he had like 7 million pass. I was honestly like, when I was watching this in the bar, I turned to my friends that I was with, I was like, I'll bet Vicario has set some sort of fucking record for passes in this match because they were going back and forth so much. But yeah, he's, I mean, I think that's, you know, where I think, and I think you could say this about the defense, but I would extend it to the whole team. I thought the way the team sort of kept its composure until like maybe arguably the last few minutes of the match. And even then I would say they managed to sort of hold it together. I thought that was really impressive because I think, and maybe I'm being a little unfair, a little Pollyanna right here, but I think other Spurs teams get frustrated either with getting 20 corners at the back or nothing working at the front and fuck this matchup. And I think even under, you know, some of the Pochettino teams, they just find a way to lose this match or draw this match. And, you know, again, and I think it's actually been a theme under um, Postacolic, sometimes to our detriment this year. is like we just keep doing what we're doing and we're pretty businesslike about it and we, you know, just keep it up. And it's it's honestly the consistency, I think, is really impressive considering how little time he's been here. Yeah, I mean, I think part of that, too, is there's an attitude difference there. There's a discipline that I think we have throughout the team. But then also a lot of it is we have two really, really good center backs. I mean, I think there's a there's a really strong argument to make that Kuti is the best center back in the Premier League. Um, Mickey has hit the ground running faster than I think anyone could have imagined. He's been really, really good. And when you think back to the best Spurs teams we have had in recent memory, it was when both Vertonghen and Toby were were at their best and they were fit. And before that, it was um, when Michael Dawson had the year of his life because Ledley kept his knee together for a whole year. And I mean, if we look through modern Spurs, like the, the key to not just being a good team, but like being able to withstand these types of games and be something special really does derive from our center backs. And I think we're hopefully seeing we have seen to this point hopefully we continue to see that we have the center backs to be able to do that now and on top of that i mean going to your point it also comes a bit from like we might have a great keeper in a way that i think none of us really (laughs) expected i don't he wasn't tested all that much this game he had a really nice save early on um when when palace sort of popped a shot off but like you know even if palace wasn't challenging that much like like you guys were saying there was 20 corners or whatever it was. It was a lot of corners and he's just, he's calm in the box. He's there's nothing he does that sort of stands out as spectacular, but you just feel good about him back there. Cause it's just, it's also assured. It's also competent. I mean, it's, it's really nice to have a cario back there. And I know that part of that is just because like Hugo was a mess last year and Forrester wasn't very good. And you know, it's just compared to that, like, you know, the bar's kind of on the floor, but it's been, I mean, I, I think just having that whole sort of that so center three guys just being really calm and good this year has made a huge difference. I think it's very funny how much of the story of the season is our defense and our, you know, our back five or six guys, you know, keeper, back four and Basuma have been like 
the subject of so much of our conversation. And yet, normally when you're talking about your defense that much, it's because you're kind of a boring defensive-minded team. And, like, that's not the case at all. And yet, that's still the thing that stands out kind of week in, week out um, as being, like, the really exceptional component of this very attack-minded, you know, squad. But all these guys have... All those guys are attack minded. Like I think one of the real interesting things about the Spurs team, I don't think we've ever seen it quite to this degree. Is like, I mean, I mean, Ben, you watch more Premier League football than I do because of your, you know, fantasy hobby. But like, <laughs> Jesus, like, I mean, we play out of the back all the fucking time, like under all sorts of pressure. I mean, for a team that isn't like Barcelona, or Real Madrid, or City, I mean, I, 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 we play out of the back a lot, and all those guys contribute to it. Whether it's our fullbacks, who are obviously very offensive players, but we have two center backs who are incredibly competent and comfortable on the ball. And our keeper's really comfortable on the ball. And I think that gets overlooked just because he's not like, you know, dropping dimes down the field, but he's comfortable shifting defenders or shifting attackers and, you know, making, you know, finding angles to pass in a way that like, God, Hugo never did that. I mean, you know, he's not, you know, Neuer or whoever, but he's really good with the ball at his feet and they're all comfortable with the ball at their feet. So they're all as good or solid as they are defensively. They're also all players who are, you know, very comfortable with figuring out how to start an attack. Yeah, I think this shows up at center back a lot, but I also think it shows up all over the pitch for us right now is how athletic we are. And, and that's something that was missing for a few years there. We we didn't we had some skillful players. We had some nice players, but we we were not a particularly athletic team for a while there. And I think we like to fetishize in general as football fans. We like to fetishize passing and all these different skills and stuff like that. And, and we really just overlook that, you know, it's also really useful to be big and fast and athletic and able to move. And like, I mean, you look at Man City, even Pep, who made his bones on Tiki Talk, like there's a reason why almost everyone they sign is an insane athlete. And you look at our center backs and, and Mickey is such a good athlete with terrifying pace. And, and you look and he's at huge. Kuti. He's, he's huge. Like, and Kuti is a great athlete. And Richarlison's a great athlete. And I mean, Destiny's a great athlete. And Sun, even at his age, has probably gone from world class athlete to very good athlete. And like you look up and down this team, and there are so many great athletes out there that I think that is why we're able to defend as well as we have, especially at center back, but also just in transition altogether with help from everyone in front of them. I also think that's why, to Ben's point, we gave up 20 corners or whatever it was. You're probably going to be a lot better on set pieces when you have a lot of big explosive people. And we have a lot of those now. Well, and I think that's as you know, I think you could argue our attack should have scored more than it has this year, but I think that's one of the things that makes it so good and dangerous is it's just, it's moving guys around. I mean, Kulishevsky's always busting ass. I mean, that guy is constantly moving around. You know, you've got Son is like learned how to press again this year. He's being asked how to press. He's being asked to press again this year. I mean, you know, you've either got Richarlson who's going to body everybody up on the left, or you've got Brandon Johnson who's a track athlete. It's you know, you're right. It's just we've we've got guys who can use their athleticism to really um, put pressure on the other team. Yeah, even a guy like Madison, who looks like he's like taking a page out of Jamie Vardy's Skittle Vodka regimen, is also a very aggressive presser, a very hardworking athletic guy. Uh, it's yeah, you're right. I mean, Sar, I think you yeah. were down on his performance, but I did not feel as bad about him this weekend um, as you did. But he has like an engine for fucking days. Yeah, and 
Yeah. I mean, it's you, everywhere. you mentioned Madison. I mean, he's, let's say, like, maybe the 10th most athletic player in this team. And, like, two years ago, he's probably, like, the third most athletic player we would have had. Like, just that – and he's not a bad athlete by any means, but it's it's just wild how much more athletic we've gotten up and down the squad where a guy like Madison – just feels like another guy now, whereas like he would have been leading this before when we talked about this a couple of years ago. Ben, you said something when uh, in our writers' room when we were talking earlier this week that I'd like you to expand upon on the podcast, where you said you were a little disappointed we're not beating the shit out of teams this year. We're just sort of comfortably winning. Could you expand upon that? Yeah. Does that need more analysis? <laughs> I mean, tell us your f- thoughts and feelings. How about that? <laughs> Like, look, my expectations are appropriately calibrated, but, like, it would be fun to beat somebody fucking 5 nil, And, you know, we've gotten dogs so we, much. I mean, 5-2 or whatever it was, but, you know. Yeah, we had the one. But, like, we've been dogged so much of, like, only playing the bad teams. And, like, you know, some of that criticism is regrettably creeping into my psyche. I'm like, yeah, we have played mostly the bottom half of the, of the table. And... He's like you see like fucking Villa and Newcastle rattling off like three four goal performances every week, and I just want that for us. Like we're where, playing. It's, it's where where weird. where Villa and Newcastle on the table? Exactly. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm not mad about being <laughs> where we are. I would just also like to annihilate somebody every week. Also, <laughs> well, it's hopefully... not enough to win. If you're not winning five nil, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, your your lips to God's ears this week. Uh, but yeah, it's it's like using Villa because I think Newcastle have actually been pretty impressive this year. But using Villa for a second, like I think that's where it's I think that's a good bit of comparison because on the one hand, you're right, Villa is having these more convincing wins. But on the other hand, I don't know. Like I feel like Spurs more consistently pass the smell test than they have. Maybe maybe I'm just being a homer on that. But like yeah. none of our performances look like. Very rarely am I watching Spurs this year thinking like, oh, we got got away with that one. It's, you know, it's more often than not, it's like, oh, we played really well. We're just a little profligate or we're not as clinical as we ought to be. Um, Now, I don't know if that's going to bite us in the ass as the season goes along, but. I mean, I will say I do think, at least in Villa's case, I think some of that is like they're running real hot um, where like they've had games where they're scoring four Five. I think they scored six against Brighton and they're not doing that on like a ton of chances where they're just all over them. Like they just had a great finishing game and that happens. And similarly, like we are also a team where I, I think Sun's the only one who's like a great, great finisher. So um, that's like just kind of like an area where like I think the numbers do deceive a little bit on that. And then to Greg's point, I think Newcastle are just actually very good and that's that's less fun. Yeah, I mean, like, by expected goals, like, Spurs and Villa are within, like, decimal points of each other. Like, absolutely. I just want that. <laughs> I just <laughs> want to win 4-0. Like, give me a break. <laughs> Let me have that. That's true. Spurs have had no breaks, and nothing has gone our way recently, so this yeah. is what we need. Yeah, exactly. We've been hard done by week in, week out. And, you know, Lord, I've seen what you've done for others. <laughs> I, I want it for me. So I, I, clearly the solution to this is we need to put Brendan Johnson in who can give us more excellent assists and that lead to great goals, right, Ben? Yeah, I mean, look, 
I have always believed in Brennan Johnson and what a dynamic multi-tool player he is and how much different skills that he brings to the team. Um, I think it was a phenomenal signing who I've never had a bad word to say about. Um, that goal was very special from like everybody involved and, you know, hanging in the Louvre. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful piece of work. What do you want me to say, Greg? <laughs> I just want you to say nice things about Brennan Johnson. <laughs> yeah, look, all right. So Brennan Johnson, like, touched the ball, like, three times, and all three of those were, like, fairly interesting in-the-box opportunities. Um, he had that one weird header that was, like, very close to the goal line that you're kind of like, I feel like you probably should have put that on target, even though the angle wasn't great. Um, but, you know, I don't, like, begrudge him trying to pass that and then he had another um chance created from the right side of the pitch later and like those are all three good opportunities it's good to see him getting behind the defense and like being involved like that I still like my concerns about Brennan Johnson when we signed him were that that's where he's good is in behind like he gets in behind and can square the ball and that's exactly what he did to set up that goal um, I don't know if he does other things. And until we see him do those other things and play like 90 minutes, you know, I am not going to withdraw my criticism because even though he touched the ball really well three times, like he was not present in our possession play outside of that. And in games like this, like you really need guys who can progress the ball and move the ball because otherwise we're looking exactly like we looked for most of this game, which is static and out of ideas and not capable of breaking down a team who does want to play football against us. And I don't know if he has that yet. So great goal, great job, but I'm, I'm withholding judgment. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately I have to agree with Ben and um, I think that I know how that pains you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like, I, I agree. Like, so far we have seen him do the things that we thought he could do and he has not done the things that we were maybe more skeptical of and that's not to say he hasn't he can't do it because one um he hasn't played a lot so we'll see if he can do those things and also he's still young and getting his feet wet in the team and i i'm not ruling it out i my issue and criticism i had with the signing is one um you're paying 47 million for this. Like that, that's, it was not a cheap signing. And if he doesn't have more than he has, then he showed it for us and thus far has shown it spurs. What he is, is a nice backup. And he's, he's a, and that's really useful. Like I, I it's not like, I don't think he has a place in the team if this is all he is. However, we need a starting forward and we already have Richarlison and we had, well, we had Perisic, um, and we have Solomon, and we have we have a lot of backups. Like that's not a thing that we needed. Um, even if he can do the job well, like we we have depth, and so we need that top end player. And you know what? If he's got more in there, and he's that guy, then awesome, great job to everyone involved in the signing. Um, thus far, I think we've kind of seen him be a good backup player. Um, and that will help us win games, and that's useful. And also, if we go back in time, um, that's just not what I would have prioritized. It's it's, it's interesting because 
I, we have a manager for the first time in a while who is interested seemingly in making players better. Certainly he's been capable of doing it in a way that like, I mean, just looking at Pedro Poro, for instance, you know, like, I mean, I don't think we've had a manager who's improved players like this since earlier at Pochettino. And I'm not saying that justifies spending money on Brennan Johnson. What I do think it says is like, that he is not the finished article or closer to the finished article is maybe like it's maybe a little different than it has been under the last couple of managers because we seem to not be we seem to be looking for something a little different. But, yeah, it's it's also early days this season. And we've you know, he's I mean, I think it was the Arsenal game his only start, um, you know, he or maybe the, I can't remember if he started in the care about cup game, but. You know he's been injured or doing cameo appearances, so it's hard to say that will that that all that said, you know, and I know he needs to display more tools in his locker. It was really nice watching a guy. It wasn't on the goal. It was on the. It was a few minutes later. He ran on a ball in behind and created a chance. And it was like, whatever else you want to say about Brandon Johnson, it was like, oh, that was nice. I haven't seen a Spurs player do that in quite a while, <laughs> and it was just sort of nice to see. Uh, obviously, if you spend. 47 million, like you said, Brian or Ryan, you want to see more than just those little glimpses, but it's, it's hard to say, but it was nice. I mean, that was such an excellently worked goal. And, and I think he displayed, if you're going to give him credit on that beyond just like the things Brennan Johnson tends to do well, that header at the beginning of it, I think was really like, like that's very good reading of the game from him that he just didn't take that down or try to take that down. That He recognized this is what I got to do with this right here. So, you know, hopefully this is a guy Ange knows how to coach up and he just has some bad coaches at Nottingham Forest. And, you know, just as this is who the player is, all those other things I said are also equally true. So who and, knows what we're going to see? But I hope and, we're seeing someone who's going to get coached up. And earlier in the season, like how many times were we late in the match, like bring looking at our bench and being like, well, what the hell are we going to do with this Motley crew? At a minimum, I think he's shown that he can be a really dangerous guy to run at tired legs and try and get in over the top. Mm-hmm. So if nothing else, like he has, I think, already proven that he has some real real immediate utility to us. And like we can sit here as Ben and I just did and say, but what can't he do? And we spent a lot of money on that. And here's the hole in the squad. Well, one of the holes that we had in the squad was also that our bench was looking rough three weeks ago and having him on the bench makes it significantly less rough. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And like, again, I don't want to be churlish about the goal because the header was nice. And like the speed with which he burst in behind Madison to be able to collect the next ball is like, that's, that's an amazing tool. And if you can do more than just be fast, like, you know, he can be amazing. And I, I it was a good believe, run too. It wasn't just yeah. like speed yeah. down the line. I mean, that he made a really targeted run to get on right. that pass. And like, you know, I do believe, like you said, in Andrew's ability to like coach a guy up and like the way he's sort of reinvented Poro and Udagi and, you know, given new leases on life on a lot of guys and, you know, calm down Romero and all these things that we've talked about does give me a lot of hope that like he can make Brennan Johnson a more kind of complete player. It's just, you sell Harry Kane it would be nice to buy a guy who is the finished article. Like you see what Madison as that finished article has done to this team. It's just, you immediately drop him in and like, he's arguably our best player. Probably not even an argument. Like he's amazing. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, well, son, getting a yes, second one of those enough. guys, it's like, we could be top of the table right now. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think when you look at Brennan and you're like, he's he's clearly shown that he can make an impact with his touches. Like he he has the ability to do a lot when he gets on the ball. The question going forward is, can he increase that volume significantly? And can he do it more than three times in a game? Can he can he make an can he start? Because he also just doesn't have a lot of he doesn't get a lot of touches, period. Um, it's not just that they're the other ones aren't impactful. He doesn't get on the ball enough. So how do we take a guy who's doing what he's doing now and be able to just kind of scale that up and double the number of touches he's getting a game? If he's able to do that, I don't doubt that he's going to then become that player because I don't see any reason why he should not continue to be impactful with his touches. It's how often can he get on the ball? Some yeah. of it is, I mean, and this is the flip side of us not having uh, European competitions or being in many cup competitions this year. I mean, I think this dude just needs starts. Like, I mean, again, like you'd like to see a guy be a little more influential. He still came on as a sub. He still came on late in a weird match. Like, you know, I think this is a guy who just needs to be in games for long periods of time. And I think it helps if he's like starting the games. And, you know, I think that's just, like this guy needs starts and I'm not sure I always want to start him over Charleston. Cause I think for Charleston, even if he's not scoring goals, offers a lot. Um, you know, it's just, I, I don't know. I don't have a great answer for that. I think you're right. Like, I mean, he needs to get more touches and do more with them, but other than just like getting starts, I, I don't have a great answer for that. Yeah. I mean, like, look, he was a low touch player at Nottingham forest. And a lot of people, when we signed him were like, well, that's just because forest play a certain way and they don't have a lot of the ball, whatever. But like, he is so far kind of trending exactly the same kind of like 30 touches a match kind of performance. And that's just not as much as you want from a guy in that position. Um, Again, he's only started one match for us. Yeah. yeah. He's at 110 minutes on the season for us. So, there, there's a lot more to go there, and and also I, not only obviously is did he just come over, um, Forrest obviously plays significantly differently than uh, Ange plays, and he didn't get a preseason and all these things. So I'm not even sitting here saying I need that to happen tomorrow, um, because I don't, and I still stick with we can't get too fooled by the table and say we need to be good right now. This is still the start of a rebuild. And if it takes him six months to find his feet and he's just going to be an impactful backup until then, and, and then he'll really be able to grow into a bigger role. That's fine. Like that is totally fine. That justifies the signing. If he does that, like there's, I don't think we need him to be more than that immediately. I'm just saying that I think what we've seen thus far kind of tells us that what we thought he could do, he can do what we were skeptical of. We still have reason to be skeptical of, and again, it's 110 minutes. Like, let's check back when he's played like a thousand one hundred and ten minutes. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, you look at a guy like Richarlison, another guy who I have been deeply skeptical of. Um, he had a very weird match against uh, Palace, but. You know, it was a lot of like bad turnovers under pressure, passes to nowhere. He had that one pass that he just played like straight out of bounds as if he was like trying to play a one, two with the advertising hoarding. Um, but he also had like four or five, like really phenomenal line breaking passes into the final third in a way that is like, that's very much not the Richarlison that, you know, we were expecting. It was like, we know what he can do. It's kind of get on the ball and near the box. He can shoot, um, you know, he can press whatever. And that kind of passing is, as far as I, I'm aware, like a very kind of new tool um, in his game to be 
you know, doing, creating opportunities that effectively. And like I said, it was hit or miss. He gave the ball away a lot, but like he's trying it and is kind of effective at it. And so, you know, you're seeing Ange's work happen in real time with him. And, you know, he has been one of our better attacking players in the last few matches and in ways that are unexpected. So like, I think there's a lot of reason to hope on a lot of guys. Um, but so, I mean, I, I agree with you on Richarlison. Um, I, we, we agree on Johnson. We had Hill make his debut this weekend, played like two minutes or something like that. Um, we have options at left wing now. And, and I think we would, agree that at least in the immediate that none of them are perfect they're they're it's a gaggle of imperfect options with potential um and to greg's point there aren't a lot of minutes out there just because we don't have european competition how would you sort through that trio going forward hopefully not injuries um man i don't know like heels is an interesting guy because i simultaneously believe that brian heel is not a top 10 premier league player like top 10 you think he's the eleventh best player in the Premier League? No, yes, exactly. As, <laughs> as is the number of shit. No, I think he's not a player generally who's good enough for a top ten Premier League team. And also, I believe that he is very well suited to what Ange wants to do with the ball. Like, I think he's a good fit for the tactics. So I'm really interested to see him. I think some of this is made easier by the fact that Johnson's fine on the right. So there's ways to sort of shift some of these dudes around. But, man, I don't know, because, like, I think, like, if we have a big match, I feel most comfortable with Charleston. He's not scoring goals, but he's doing a lot of the good stuff. Johnson obviously offers just a lot, um, even if he's not consistent or at the level that you want it. Um, you know, I mean, Solomon's obviously out. Heels there. Man, I don't know. I mean, that's going to just – someone that so much of this just comes down to, like, what do they look like in training? How do you feel about how they fit? I mean, a lot of it's without the minutes. It's just kind of – I think things that determine this are very hard for us as fans to divine. I mean, I think that's the thing that Ange has really excelled at is making those big calls quickly. Um, you know, we talked earlier in the season about, you know, Skip and Saar and, and Royale and Poro, but, you know, even over the last, you know, two hours of, of gameplay, it was Emerson came on and was fucking terrible against Fulham and Ben Davis got the start. And Ben Davis was not good and got yanked at halftime. Like he is quick to make those changes if he sees it's not working. And so if Brendan Johnson looks like he's the guy in training, he'll give him the shot. And if it's not working, he'll yank him, bring on Richarlison. Like he'll, I trust him to be aggressive with those choices um, in a way that I think a lot of managers are not. Um and so, like, right now, I think Charleston has been good enough over the last few games that, like, yeah, ride the hot hand. But if, if Johnson started against Chelsea, I wouldn't, like, be shocked that that was a, a call Ange made. And, again, I believe that he will fix it if it's not going well. Yeah, I, I think the other wrinkle on that, too, is we, we for by choice, should not be playing without Sun because he is currently um, our best attacker by a mile. He is 31 years old. We are going to have our first little bit of fixture congestion coming up um, just as we get towards the holidays. And then he's going to leave for the Asian Cup in January. So uh, assuming Alejo is not ready to step in as a starter, which it, there's no reason to think he is, 
that means Richarlison's going to have to play in the center. And, and then that creates some other options out on the wing too. So I think there's also just going to be, even if fingers crossed, we don't suffer any real significant injuries, um, whether that's just with late game subs for Sun to give him a breather or um, what's just going to happen with Asian Cup. Like we're also going to get to a point where we're going to have to see how we do with Richarlison back at center, at center forward again. And, and then what does that mean for us out on the wing? I mean, there's even a world where you can see Johnson playing center forward. I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility. I, I prefer to see Richarlson there. But, yeah, we're going to have to get a little creative in January and maybe the end of February, December. Yeah, I mean, Johnson is a more sun-like substance than Richarlison is. And, like, it, it wouldn't be crazy to just stick with that stylistically. But who knows? put heel up there, really get crazy. <laughs> <laughs> As he gets yeah. turned into, like, mashed potatoes by Premier League <laughs> center backs. But... Um, so moving on, uh, I want to talk about the question that's on every Spurs fan's lips and every pundit's lips this week. Uh, could we, Ryan, you're, you're, you, you haven't been on to discuss it since I think we became uh title challengers, but could we? No. Okay. You have, you have any other thoughts? No. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. I mean, we're gonna, yeah, we could, but like we're gonna, we're gonna win the league. So. Uh, I mean, I'm mostly I'm I'm mostly really excited about the fact that like whatever happens from here, like, they don't go back and take away the points unless Jurgen Klopp has his way. So <laughs> like we we've eliminated almost all the downside of the season already, and just kind of having that out of the way is nice and freeing. Um, like we play tougher teams now, and we'll, we'll probably lose a game maybe, um, and like different things will happen, but like. So things go badly and we're in third place. Like it, it's we're in a we're in a great situation now where because of the points we've already banked, like it's a question of how high we go, not where we could drop to. Um, and like, that's really fun. I don't think we're going to win the league. I don't think we're going to at the end of the season be that close to winning the league. Um, and that's OK. Like I, I I'm increasingly confident that we're going to be playing in the Champions League next year. And I think that we could be potentially really well set up to make a run in the FA cup. And like that absolutely fucking rules. Do you think if Spurs, I don't want to say if they're top of the table or then two points, but if they're hovering around the top of the league. Do you think they're going to push the boat out in the January transfer window, or they're just going to sort of keep things ticking along? I, I don't, I mean, I'm inclined to say that they're not going to, push the boat out for the sake of chasing the league. Like, I don't think they're going to sit there and say, this is a hole. We got to spend whatever we can to fix it. Um, I mean, to I a degree do, they need to like, they need to do that for like a third choice center back. Well, <laughs> right. And, and, but I think it'll, but be I know more, what you're saying. Yeah. I think it'll be more along the lines of, okay, the guy that we, the, the position or the hole that we wanted to fill in the summer now we might be a little bit more aggressive and sign that player in January if that player is available as opposed to waiting for the summer. But I don't think they're going to blow it up for just trying to push for it. I think they may accelerate the timeline or be more willing to spend an extra five million to make it happen now. Um, but I don't think that I, I think that say they have their roadmap for where they want to be on um, September 1st, 2024. I think on September 1st, 2024, we're going to be exactly the same place we are, regardless of where we are in the league come January. Um, it's just the guy that we might have bought next summer we're going to buy in January instead. Yeah, I don't think we're going to make a buy just to get us over the line. Like, 
it's going to be uh, we're going to take a longer read than that. I'd be very surprised if we didn't. Well, there's I mean, there's also the added, you know, it costs more to buy anyone in January virtually unless someone's running out of a contract. And like, you know, you want an impact player. I mean, you know, very rarely do you get Kulishevsky and Bentoncourt in, in a January transfer window. And even then, like it was because Juventus thought they sucked. So, you know, it's and Juventus need to make sales to raise money to buy um, Vlavic. But, you know, it's like very, it's just it's hard to buy people in January regardless. And I think if we are making a title push, which, you know, we're going to win the league. Which we will be. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But I think it'll be very hard for us to buy. But who knows? I don't know. Like, I think I think Ryan's right. I think we might be if we're sitting pretty in the league, we might make sure like we're, we might be willing to pay a little bit of a premium to like shore up some of our holes. I have a hard time seeing us improving the first 11. Um, now the African cup of nations and the Asian cup make, you know, they might push us into doing certain things that we might not ordinarily do, but we'll see. Like, I think, I think the real difference is going to be, if I'm being honest, other than paying a little extra to get like a third center back in or, you know, whoever, I think what it is is going to be, I think we're going to like cut a little deal with Hoiberg to be like, we will let you go a little cheaper in the summer, but you're sticking around for the rest of the season. Um, you know, that, or, or we'll, you know, we'll find it. We'll find a way to sweeten the pot for you. But I like, I think that would be actually what we're going to see is like, we're going to find a way to keep Hoiberg around or buy his replacement. If he really wants to leave. Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of a combination of one. How does Bentoncourt look as he, comes back um and then you obviously have the issue of africa cup of nations and what that does to losing basuma and losing sar for a unknown period of time but also i wouldn't be shocked if that becomes a um if that becomes like hoyberg like we're not selling you on january 1st we're not selling you on january 10th but if benton is looking like like he like he's making his comeback and he's looking fine and that could also be a scenario where like, hey, we need you to stick here while Basuma and SAR is gone. But one of their teams lose, doesn't make it out of the group stage of AFCON. They're back by the end of January and you can sell Hoybeer on, you know, January 29th. And I, so I think I, that could be a wait and see situation where we're like, hey, we're open to it at the end of January because it, it very well might make sense at that point to still sell him if you have Bentoncourt back and you have say Bas- the Ivory Coast is lost, so Basuma makes his way back before the end of the month and SAR is like a week behind him. I, I wouldn't even be shocked if it's like, hey man, we are gonna make it very easy for you to leave in the summer if you're a good soldier for a few for a few months. You know, like we are not gonna ask for a super high transfer fee. Um, you know, if you stick this one out with us. And I think also part of it then also depends again on Bentoncourt and what that does to mm-hmm. to Pierre's minutes going forward. Cause I also would assume that a huge um a, a huge driver for Pierre and what he wants in January is going to be where can I get minutes and be fit for the Euros? And so if there's an avenue where he's like, hey, I know that I can play pretty decent minutes, even if it's off the bench for the rest of the season at Spurs, I'm happy to do that because that puts me in a good place for the Euros. But if then the flip side is if Benticor comes back and plays well and he sees his minutes go down, at that point he might get really restless for a move, understandably so. If he's like, well, you're going to ruin an entire Euros for me. I need to get the hell out of here. And I, Man, I, ruin, I, I wouldn't like, blame him for him. We're doing him a favor. We're giving him regular minutes and actually letting him rest. Like He's actually going to be able to run during the Euros. Are you kidding me? <laughs> 
Um, I want to. I don't want to let this pass without um, saying how great it was to watch Bentoncore get back on the pitch after all the like the fucking miserable shit we've watched the last few years. I don't think I've ever seen. I don't think I've seen everyone on this team is universally happy as they were when Bentoncore came on as a sub. Like he had that huge shitty grin on his face. Ange looked like. I mean, Ange looked the happiest he's looked since he got here. You know, obviously the whole team was thrilled for him after the match, but it was just it was a very very nice moment for Spurs. Yeah, we've had guys get injured before. It's not like this is the first serious injury we've experienced. But but you the, would have thought it was. The attitude like, was like, it was incredible. You're right. It was like so but, celebratory. It was like. But we haven't had yeah. a long-term injury come back for Good Vibes FC. Like this is a whole new club. That's true. Brian Heal feeling really put out by all this, but still, it's 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 nice. It was just very, Bentecourt seemed very happy. Ange even seemed very happy. Ange's probably happy that Bentecourt's not going to be, like, sneaking to his office asking him to start every match now. But, um, yeah, so let's move forward from last week and start looking forward to next week where we play Chelsea, which I, I think we would always be nervous about this game. But I think, weirdly, we are less nervous about this game than we all thought we were going to be. Because this is Mauricio Pochettino's first time back at Spurs as a manager at Chelsea. I don't know about you guys. When he got hired by Chelsea, I thought he was going to come into this game with a pretty good Chelsea team and a Spurs team that, at best, was going to be struggling to get it together. And it, instead... <laughs> Like, there is a not unrealistic possibility we could get him fired. I mean, I think that's not going to happen. But, like, I don't think he's walking into this game the way he thought he was going to walk into this game. How are you feeling uh, as Pochino comes back to Spurs wearing a Chelsea kit? Ben, I'll start with you. I mean, how am I feeling about Pochettino is fuck that guy. How I'm feeling about the game is fuck that guy. I think I think I'm very nervous because we haven't lost yet. It's like that's just hanging over us that like it wouldn't just be a loss to Chelsea. It wouldn't be just a loss to Pochettino's Chelsea. It would be the first loss this era has suffered. And like I just really, really don't want that to happen. Because there's one way to kill a good vibes FC. It is getting humiliated by the ex manager who we've been kind of laughing at behind our hands all season. Um, you know, if we get beat badly, like that's going to feel fucking bad, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. Like they have been, you know, pretty good by XG and not as good on the, you know, in the results. And so like, it's they, they weren't that good by XG last week. <laughs> no. Yeah. So, you know, like it's not impossible that they put it together specifically for us. Um, that is how rivalry games go for us sometimes, but I don't know. I think we're going to do the business. Brian, how are you feeling? I'm I'm already. I, I mean, I understand. I I also am worried that um, it just it doesn't feel good being like, damn, he has a chance to end the undefeated run. But also the flip side of that is like, I'm so ready to win and then just like scroll through social media to get every single video of every song coming from the South stand in the last 20 minutes of that match. Like that's all I want so badly. And I'm nervous primarily because I don't want to have that taken from me. Like that's all I want is to hear every song coming out of the South stand. I need this. I need this more than you can believe. I fucking hate that guy. I want to, I want to stick the knife in. I want to twist it and I want to laugh while I'm doing it. Like you said, I just, 
you know, I, I know that fucker was like practicing the look he was going to make when, you know, he came back to Spurs and they sang that song. I know he was practicing that in the mirror this whole summer. And I just like, I just love how good our season started and how bad that se- their season has been. I just, oh, I really want to just stick the knife in and twist it. I, I like, fuck that guy. Like, I mean, you know, he didn't have to go to fucking Chelsea. Like, I, I don't know. It's, I think that Brentford game is a little uh, misleading because they didn't have Enzo. And I think, unless you guys have seen something different, it seems like he'll be back for our match with them, which is not great. Um, I think it is true that they have performed better than their results indicate. I think it is also true that, like, something is rotten in Denmark there. I don't think it's going great, or at least not as well as they would like it to go. Maybe it'll work out. Um but, you know, I, I think it's not quite clicking there, despite some of the performances they've had this year. And I don't know. I, I just think I don't think we can get him fired. But I think if we beat him, any victory against Chelsea, I think, would put him in a very ugly place. And I would like to do that. <laughs> who? I'm trying to think who on the team would just take the most joy in scoring the winning goal to beat him. I mean, Kevin Vimmer, but he's not here anymore. Um, I don't think there's I, anyone that's I don't truly know. holding they that They don't hate him anymore. like we do. Yeah, I don't think Son really... No one, Son's the only guy left over. That's what I'm... I, yeah, um, I'm thinking now. I don't think we I mean, have anyone left who, like, really would be holding that grudge. Yeah, Dyer... I don't think anyone holds a grudge against him. Dyer would probably enjoy watching Chelsea beat us at this... Or watching Chelsea beat us at this point. Um... But I don't know. I don't think there's anybody on the team who, like, wants to stick it in. I mean, someone would probably get some competitive, like, thrill out of beating Pochettino. Maybe Ryan Mason. But um, I think they all, like, like and respect Pochettino, which is obviously the incorrect way to feel about that fat fat fucking snake. But, um, you know, I hope this is like that episode of The Simpsons where Homer just killed a bunch of snakes. I mean, I think think Madison's the guy who, you know, was – he is not beholden to Pochettino. He knows the history. He was on Leicester. Yeah, I think he will revel in, you know, putting this era of Spurs over the last era of Spurs. What I think is and interesting. He's kind of a dick anyway. Here's the thing. Here's the here's the question to ask, Ryan. Is there anyone on Chelsea who's going to enjoy sticking one into Spurs? Like, I don't know if they I don't know if they have any players who like Hate us yeah, like that anymore. Sterling, Sterling wants to get revenge for all of his Man City losses. Yeah, probably. that's a different thing, though. But yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think. Like, who do they have left that has anything? It's like Silva, Chilwell. Maybe? Yeah, like, like Reese James. I guess maybe's got a little bit, but like, that all like, the. Hazard spent a whole year eating Big Macs and decided to get it together to fuck up Spurs' title run. Like, I don't think they've got anyone with that level of spite in them anymore, at least towards us. It's a really hollow Chelsea team, which is, I think, a big part of why they haven't been good. It's like nothing about them feels like a happy, cohesive, passionate Well, no, no, no. Like a bitter, dirty, motivated bunch of shitheads, you mean? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think this this does, though, kind of go back to what we talked about last time I was on here, where in in a lot of ways, like I think like we talked about the the captain's armband could be kind of overrated and symbolic and not mean a lot. But I think that having some 
some holdovers and some real adults in the room for our transition with Sun, um, with Cootie, with Madison has meant a lot. Whereas like Chelsea just doesn't have that. Like how many adults do they have in that room? And like that, I don't say that to talk shit on the players that they do have because it's not like, well, it's not like you look at their them and you're like, well, Cole Palmer just doesn't have it in him. Like, no, Cole Palmer is like 21 years old. Like he's just like they, they've constructed a team that you're like, this kind of makes sense. But like you can't throw them all together all at once. And I do think that that is something that in contrast, Spurs have really gotten right where we've gotten the mix of players right more. That goes beyond just like, are you good at soccer? Yeah, and I, maybe that maybe the academy players have that hate in them, but like, I don't know. I feel like we got a bunch of guys who are going to run through the wall for Ange, and a couple of guys who understand what it means to play Chelsea. And I don't know. It's just Chelsea team just feels like a bunch of mercenaries, and maybe that's. I, I'm definitely telling myself stories here, but I, I am just a little bit upset that it's a Monday match. Like, yeah. I, I, I wish this was a good proper weekend because like, don't I, don't get me wrong. I think the lane is going to be buzzing for the match. But like if this was a Saturday or Sunday, like I think this could have been like a really, really special atmosphere at the lane. Yeah. How do you think what kind of reception do you guys think Pochettino is going to get? Because I I don't know what's like very online and what's like not. I mean, my I mean, I certainly see. A lot of people very angry at him, but I think I'm definitely in my Spurs Twitter bubble. I mean, I think I, if I, anything online is more charitable to him than your average fan, frankly. You think it's going to be nasty? Like the atmosphere is going to be I nasty. hope so. I don't think they're fucking singing he's magic, you know? Like, I hope we do that when we're up 3 0 in the 90th minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen to me. If you're a listener to Wheel of Deal Radio, and you go to matches, and we are winning this game comfortably at the end of the match. You please start that song. <laughs> I'm begging you. I, I I think this is going to be like the ultimate test of Angie's. Like it's not a fortress; it's a nightclub. Like, all right. Like I get what you're saying, buddy, and I love the quote. I I think it will resemble much more of a fortress on Monday than a nightclub. So you you think he's gonna get a very hostile reception? I think it will be. I think it will be hostile. I don't think it'll be super hostile, but I think it will be hostile. Like, I don't think he's going to be like really catching it, but I think we're going to see some whistling and some booing. I don't think we're going to see a lot of love for him. Um, and, and then I think the combination of that, of him, and then just the existence of Chelsea is going to turn this into um, a, a level of vitriol that I don't think we've gotten from a home match yet this year. I think this is going to be like that first, the first home match of the season where it's like charged up in that particular way. Um, not, a, not in the sense that like it'll be louder or, or more raucous than other games. Cause I think we've had some really great atmospheres at the lane, but it's going to come with an edge that I don't think we've really had yet this season. So I want to transition into our questions and I want to start with a question that has to do with this match and what we're just talking about. This comes from unfit for purpose on blue sky. He wants to know exactly how violent is Pochettino going to make this Tottenham versus Chelsea match. Uh, my inclination from his time at Spurs would be very, but I, 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 I haven't watched a ton of Chelsea this year. Do you guys know, is he turning matches into bar fights still, or what do you think? I mean, I think they'll get ugly because they don't have anything else going for them, but I don't think they're going to set out to be like, I don't know. They don't have a lot of like vicious leg breakers in the team. Like, Jack Silva's a little nasty. 
Kaiseido will get stuck in, but I don't know that it's going to be like battle of bridge territory. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think they have the type of players that will do that. I mean, there, there will be something there because like I said, I think there will be an edge to the atmosphere and, and they're going to feel that too. They're going to bring a little bit more intensity than they have, but they just don't, they don't have that type of player to my knowledge. And they, they sure as hell don't have four of them. Oh yeah. Cucurella, that guy's a piece of shit. Yeah. But he's got to catch yeah. up to somebody to be able to kick him. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have another question from, I'm just going to call him Opus cause I can't say the rest of his name and I apologize. Um, he's also on blue sky. Uh, he wants to know Rob McKenzie is rumored to be joining us from Villa. Um, he is apparently one of the scouts that recommended Sun when he was working at Spurs back in the day. Do you think we are building a, a good recruitment infrastructure right now with Lange coming in and now this? Or is it just one of those things that, as fans, it's kind of who the hell knows? We don't have a real – It's it feels very – to me, it feels very opaque. But what do you think? My memory of McKenzie was that he was getting more and more responsibility and then got pushed out by – a new kind of transfer regime. Um, but again, my memory is a little hazy here, but I recall him being like a pretty good talent spotter and put a lot of good guys on our radar. So whatever, if Lang wants him, if that's going to fit into our system, then great. Yeah. I mean, he has a good reputation. Um, there are also guys out there who suck, who have good reputations. I don't know if he's actually good or bad at his job. But that type of person in the role we're putting him in makes a lot of sense and like rounds out the the structure really well. So if nothing else, I continue to be impressed with like we seem to know what jobs we need to hire for and what type of infrastructure we need and are hiring seemingly qualified people for them. I don't know any of most of these guys to know if they're good or bad at their jobs, but we're hiring qualified people and creating jobs for them that that we need to have. So I'm encouraged by at least our approach. We had uh, this question, speaking of transfer stuff, uh, from a few people. Um, witty username and does he really do it for you, um, amongst others. Uh, they wanted to know, uh, would you take Sancho? Ben? It's so hard to know what's going on there. Like, it, it, it's if you're, like, talking about, like, is the Sancho that they bought from Dortmund, like, good like yes like i would take that guy but i have no idea you know we've seen talented guys at spurs be derailed by off the pitch personal baggage and what have you and you know he has had a rough road at man u and i have no idea what his life has done to kind of encourage that treatment from ten hog because like it seems so beyond the pale especially given how like willing they are to open like, like rapists and domestic abusers in that club with open arms. Like, I don't know why Sancho is getting the treatment he's getting there. Um, but whether he's at all like a contributing factor to this or not, he's still been on the receiving end of a really bad club environment for a really long time that the, the job of rehabbing that and, and looking at him and talking to him and seeing is this a guy who can get back to the player that he was, that was worth the transfer fee that they paid for him. That's like way above my pay grade to, to, to guess at. Um, but like, yeah, the version of him they signed was a good player and 
if he's that and if we feel confident in that and he's not too expensive to gamble on, I wouldn't be mad about it, but we have no idea. Yeah, my 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 initial reaction is yes. I I would. The two the two factors that I would question is um like Ben hinted at what's the cost and not just in terms of fee, but also wages because he is on obscene wages at United. Um, so what's the cost? Is it worth it at that point? And then also um, the one thing that Sancho isn't and has never been is like a super explosive athlete. And so he's not a super pacey guy. And I think that it's worth thinking about um, Kulisevsky on the right side. Also not a super athlete. Son still is, but he's 31 years old. And even if he keeps playing well, you've got to think that is going to scale back year by year. Um, so do we have, is, are we in a position where the guy that we are hoping is going to be a starter up there can be a guy who doesn't have overwhelming pace or athleticism? Um, I'm not sure if that dissuades me enough to not sign him. I think I still probably do, assuming the price is right. But that's in terms of actual on play pitch or on play on pitch play. Like that's kind of the one place where I say, eh, I, I want to stop and think about this for another second. But my instinct is, yeah, sign him. Yeah, to me, the, the issue is the price is never going to be right. I mean, there's enough question marks around him that I don't want to fuck around with what it would take to get him into Spurs between his salary demands and what United would probably want for him. You know, like it's just. There's too there's too many question marks and you know I think he could be a good player obviously United is a toxic setup but he hasn't really looked particularly good for United in any sort of sustained period so it's like I don't know has there been any reporting on what that potential fee and wages might be because like I just they'd be reluctant to sell within England okay because I I, 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 I don't even I don't even know where the hell you would even ballpark the fee and then also obviously I have no idea if if and what type of wage cut he's willing to take because none, none the other thing the, the other thing is that no i don't i would be stunned if anyone outside of maybe saudi arabia actually pays him his wages that he's on right now so if he's not willing to take any wage cut then he's going to spend the next unfortunately two and a half years at that terrible club that treats him horribly yeah maybe newcastle if they're feeling frisky but yeah, and so I, I i couldn't even guess or ballpark what what that price really looks like but I'll, i would bet that it's more than we feel like fucking around with so yeah it wouldn't shock me in the slightest yeah and i and i don't think that spurs being cheap i think that's probably a rational decision if you know what i mean uh, yeah i mean whoever spurs sign to play left wing has to be a player that you are confident can walk in and be not just a pretty good starter, but a really, really, really impactful starter. I think yeah. that's going to be where our next splash of catch is. We're going to spend a lot of money on it. And I am totally willing to believe that Sancho is a good signing for that spot, depending on, you know, whatever due diligence the club is going to do there. Um, but would you rather do that than spend all that money on a different player? Uh, that's where it gets a little more yeah. hairy because th this, this ha the, the, the big left wing signing has to hit. Yep. No, no, you need, you need, because we already have guys with downsides and question marks who could play left wing on our team. We have tons of those guys, actually. You, if you're going to spend big money on a left winger, you need, if not, that's the thing to guaranteed production. Yeah, or get. or at a minimum, like just a, a fucking red hot prospect. Like you know, you you need you yeah you you don't want someone with question marks and problems. You you got, it's the the options are guy who walks in and is immediately a unquestioned impactful starter. 
or a young player that you think can develop into a super duper star. Those yep. are the only two. And you know what? I'm Sancho like five years ago. <laughs> right. And I don't and I don't rule out that Sancho could be number one, the, the first of that. But there are obviously that would require due diligence from that, that us just sitting here um, bullshitting on a podcast. We're, we're never going to have access to that info. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Charles. Kupferberg, uh, he wants to know, will VAR ever give us a break again, or are we never going to get a call after that Liverpool game? Yeah, no, we're screwed. Yep. Klopp played us real good. I mean, if we didn't get that, I mean, who cares, because we won and it didn't matter, but if that ball didn't get chalked off for a handball this past Friday, like, like, sorry guys, like we ain't getting any fucking help from VAR. No, for the rest of the season. VAR, VAR is going to have our back on December third when we play Man City. Oh, here's hoping. Uh, Michael Nowen wants to know how fast do you think Ange could shotgun a can of Fosters? I I think probably not very fast. I don't think anyone could shotgun a can of Fosters very fast. Those things are huge, man. That's like a keg. Ange can do it. You, you believe in Ange? She could get that thing down and like. Ange could do anything. <laughs> I mean, I was just in Australia and I couldn't find a can of Foster's, so I don't know. I'm starting to think the beer may not even exist. You might just not drink it over there. I, I couldn't find it. Like, truly, we were trying to find it and they're like, no, we don't have it at like every bar we went to. That's really confusing, actually. So this is, this is a myth. This is not actually an Australian beer for Australians. It's just a beer that they sell to Americans to pretend to be Australian. Well, we are generally a stupid people, so it wouldn't shock me. That's a good point. I can't argue with that. How uh, this comes from? Does he really do it for you? How would you balance Sar and Bentoncore when they're both fully fit? Ben. I mean, fully fit is a. You know, we don't we don't know what fully fit Bentacore is going to be, and we don't know when it's going to happen. And Sar has been fantastic. Uh, so, I mean, right now I think it's his job to lose. And until Bentacore looks like the guy that he was, I think he's going to be grateful for sub minutes and. You know, spelling these guys when they go away to the African Cup of Nations. Well, some rotation minutes. I mean, we do have a very heavy fixture list coming up in December, so. Yeah, but you know what? If we run Sar into the ground and then send him off to Africa, fine. I don't care. Not my problem. Um, but I, I, realistically, this this might not be a decision we have to realistically make beyond some rotate. I mean, knock on wood, beyond maybe some rotation in the in the December fixture window, like, I mean, we really might not have to think too hard about this till February, maybe even March, depending right. on like how gassed SAR is coming off the Africa cup of nations. Yeah. I mean, look, I think until SAR looks like he is fatigued, which so far seems impossible. Uh, I am not interested in taking him out of games um, for Benton as much as I love the guy, like, We'll find out turn of the year, you know, where Bentacore is and, and what he can give us. But until then, I don't think I don't think we should make that call. But again, we'll see how he looks in training. We'll see what Ange does. And whatever. But Star's the guy. Um, 
I I mean I'm I'm excited to have him back because I think we saw against Hallis, we've seen a couple other games where just we don't have a ton of passing between Basuma and Sar. And so being able to add that I think will be really useful. But I think it's going to become a lot of between really the three of them, um, a lot of we're gonna ride the guy that fits the opponent and when how much we need that passing. So I think we're going to see him plenty eventually. I mean, maybe not starting right now because he's still just getting back. But eventually, I think we're going to see him plenty. Um, and it'll be a lot of rotation depending on the opponent. Because it's just a question of, do you need Sar who can run for 900 miles? Do you need Basuma who is pretty sturdy and can kind of dribble and break presses? Or do you need some passing in there in Lolo? Final question. Uh, this is Ben. I think this is important for you. This is from Giovanni Locliffo. He wants to know, is there anything better than being wrong about a player coming in who's bad, who you think is going to be bad, or worse than being wrong about a player who you think is going to be good? No. I mean, I I don't want to be wrong, period. So if I'm <laughs> if a player proves me wrong, I'm not happy about that. <laughs> like, I'm still mad. You're just, you're just looking at Vicario <laughs> making these saves and just, like, throwing things across the I room. I wasn't mad about Vicario. <laughs> yeah, if Brennan Johnson becomes a star, like, I'll be happy because, like, that's good for Spurs, but, like, I'll be mad. I... I don't so he's want just going to be. He's, he's going to score. He's going to score the goal at the end of the season. That's going to win us the title, and you're just going to be like crushing your beer as you smile. <laughs> yeah. Oh, look, I, I will learn to love, but I will not be happy that I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't so much root uh, for me to be right, uh, but I do it, it very much root for the two of you to be wrong. So whatever <laughs> you guys think, I'm rooting for the opposite of that. So you're rooting against Kulishevsky becoming a star. Well, I mean, he's not, never will be, so that's not much of a problem. <laughs> well, at least that Indomboli thing worked out for you. And Los Celso. <laughs> yeah, hey, you're the Los Celso guy, I'm the Indomboli guy. We all have to live with those. <laughs> we'll have to take our L's. Um, well, I was extremely right about James Madison in a way that other people present on this podcast were not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Greg. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, Ryan. No, you're going to own up to this one. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. So on that note, I think it's time to wrap this bad boy up. Ryan, where can people find you on the internet? Don't. Okay. Ben, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Comrade U Spurs, and you can find me on Blue Sky at Comrade U Spurs. That was easy. You can find me at on Twitter at Skipjack0079. You can find me on Blue Sky at Skipjack. And don't forget to find our co-host Brian on um, LinkedIn at Brian underscore Ashlock. That's Brian with a Y. Uh, for Ben, for Ryan, for Brian, and for Brett Rainbow, I've been your host, Greg. Come on, you're, you Spurs, and enjoy your lunch. <laughs>